What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. I want to say I like to speak to fourth or sixth graders and... What I like to do is uh, tell a story. And the Bible, some people say as many, as much as 80% of the Bible is written in story form. So God likes to teach truth through story. Jesus often used stories to tell, to tell and describe doctrinal truth. And so what I'm going to do today is tell you a story. I don't have to explain that to fourth or sixth graders. They just get it. And they just like to listen. I usually have to explain to adults, hey, I'm going to tell you a story. It's not going to have an intro, three main points, and a conclusion. Because guess what? The Bible doesn't work that way. A lot of it is written in story. And again, fourth through sixth graders are cool because they get it, and you don't have to explain that to them. But I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 15 and 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 16. But I'm going to tell you a story from the Bible. And if you want to follow along, 1 Kings 15, 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. Um, a long time ago, well about 2,981 years ago. In a land far, far, well, about 6,700 miles as the crow flies, there lived a king. And this king was evil. Now, how do I know he was evil? The Bible says he was evil. And his name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was king over Israel. And the Bible says he was evil evil. Now what made Rehoboam evil? Well, the Bible's clear what made him evil. He was evil because he decided to stop following the one true God, Yahweh, and started following Molech and Baal and Asherah and Chemosh. He quit following Yahweh and started following these other gods. But the thing is, Israel was God's chosen people. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, it is clear that God said, I am choosing Israel. All the other nations, you can have them, little g-gods. I, Yahweh, the King of kings, the Almighty God, am going to choose Israel. They're my special possession. And he says, hey, if you follow me, Israel... And if you worship me and me alone, I will bless you and bless you and bless you. So Moses leads him out of the promise, out of Egypt, right? Leads him across the Red Sea and into the promised land eventually, after wandering around for 40 years in the desert. But he eventually brings him to the promised land. And there he says, if you follow me, and in the book of Deuteronomy, they make this covenant just as they're about to enter the promised land saying, Yes, we will follow you, Yahweh. And so they follow him. And Yahweh blesses them and blesses them and blesses them. And they have king after king. Well, one king in particular, his name was David. 
And King David said, I love you, Yahweh, and and I'm going to follow you no matter what, and I'm going to have a heart wholeheartedly devoted to you. Now, David messed up. He murdered somebody. It's a pretty big mess up. He had an adulterous affair which led to murder and all this other stuff. But at the end of his days, God said of David, you are a man after my own heart. How can you be a man after my own heart and yet you did all these terrible things? If you look at David, he wasn't just this perfect individual. What made him a man after God's own heart? Because he chose to follow Yahweh. No other gods. I'm going to give my heart wholeheartedly devoted to Yahweh. I'm going to follow him all my days. And David did. And God said, you're a man after my own heart. I'm going to have and establish a covenant with you, which is a big word for a contract. I'm going to make a contract. You're going to have a line in the throne of David. One of your lineage, one of your offspring is going to be a king forever. David, I love you. And God blessed Israel. And it grew and it grew and it grew. Well, David dies. And he has a son named Solomon who then becomes king. And Solomon says, man, you know, it's tough being king. And God says to Solomon, listen, I will give you anything you want. Just ask me. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for fame. Well, Solomon, son of David, he says, I want to be wise. It is so hard to be king. It's so hard to rule. It's so difficult understanding what to do. Please make me wise. Well, God He says, guess what? You're going to be wise. And Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. Well, David, remember, he loved Yahweh and he wrote songs about Yahweh. And they were in there. A lot of them are in this book called Psalms. Well, Solomon, he was the wisest man who ever lived. And a lot of his ideas are in this book called Proverbs. And God said, you know what? I'm going to bless you, Solomon. And Solomon, he got to build a temple to worship Yahweh. He got that right to build it. And he saw the presence of the Lord fill this temple. And under Solomon, the land of Israel grew bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, the sad thing is, is Solomon, he got a little puffed up. And years later, he's thinking to himself, you know what, I got one wife. But if I marry that princess from Edom, then they'll be part of my team. And you know what? They won't attack me because I'm married to the king's daughter from Edom. And so, you know, that might make sense. But it says in Deuteronomy chapter 14 that if you're a king of Israel, you should not multiply wives to yourselves. Don't do it. Don't do it. And remember, Solomon is one of the wisest men who ever lived. So how wise is it to have more than one wife? I don't get this. But he's thinking, well, a military alliance, a political alliance, one more wife can't be bad. Uh, I know I shouldn't. It says in Deuteronomy, well, I'll just marry her. So now he's got two. Then he says, well, you know, there is that queen, that princess over there in Moab. And if I marry her, then they'll be on my team and then they won't attack me. Well, one more wife can't be bad. I've already got two. So he marries another one. That's three. Then he marries another one. That's four. Marries another one. That's five. Eventually, by the end of his days, he marries 700 wives. 
Now, how do you decide who to go out on a date with? You know, I don't know. Or, hey, whose anniversary is it right now? Is it 449 or 698? Or what if you're number one? How does that make you feel when you have 700? He not only had 700 wives, he had 300 girlfriends. Now, how do you have a wife and a girlfriend? That's a problem, right? Well, here, he had 300 girlfriends, 700 wives. He's the wisest man who ever lived. You are making dumb decision after dumb decision after dumb decision, Solomon. Well, not only that, the big problem, and it says in Deuteronomy not to multiply wives. Why? Because they might turn your heart away from Yahweh to worshiping their gods. Well, that's exactly what happened to Solomon. I can imagine wife 346 comes to him and says, do we have to go worship Yahweh today? It's so boring. I don't have all these rules on how to worship him. If we worship Molech, whoa, there's some cool stuff we do. It's way cooler. It's way more fun. Come on, Solomon. And Solomon's like, no, we're supposed to worship Yahweh. And wife 346 like, please, please, please. And eventually, he eventually, his heart turns and he goes. And he worships Molech. And it was fun. And he's like, wow, that's way more fun than worshiping Yahweh. Because it involves a lot of dirty, weird stuff to the flesh. It sounds like it's fun. And he's like, I'm going to do this. And then another wife, hey, let's go worship Baal. Okay, yeah, you're right. We should go worship Yahweh. All right, let's go. And he goes after, it says, eventually his heart is turned to these other gods to the point that he starts building high places to these gods. Back then, if you wanted to worship your God, you had to get high. And I'm not talking about smoking marijuana or something like that. You had to physically get high up the mountain. The closer you were to the sky, the better. The closer you were to your God. So in a high place, up on a mountaintop, up on a plateau, they would build worship centers to Molech, to Asherah, to Baal. And it says that they would do detestable practices. Again, very sexual in nature. Also, maybe child sacrifice is involved. And Solomon is involved in all this, influenced by his wives. And his heart left Yahweh. Well, he dies. And that's when we meet Rehoboam, that first king I talked about. That's Solomon's son. Now, Rehoboam has a choice. Are you going to follow Yahweh like your great-grandfather David? Or your grandfather, I should say, like your grandfather David? Or are you going to follow Molech, Baal, Chemosh like your dad Solomon? What are you going to do, Rehoboam? Well, he chooses Molech. And he chooses Baal. And not only that, when he's king... He listens to his young friends because Israel is made up of 12 tribes. And 10 of them say, you know what? Your dad, Solomon, he put too much work on us, taxed us too much. Rehoboam, could you just let it up a little? And Rehoboam listened to his cool young friends who also worshiped Chemosh and Baal. And they said, don't listen to him. 
show yourself strong. So Rehoboam said, hey, I'm showing myself strong. No way am I going to do that. And so civil war happened and split the nation of Israel. Ten tribes formed northern Israel. And two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, formed southern Israel, of which Rehoboam is now king. He was king over all of Israel, and now, because of listening to the wrong people, he's just king over southern Israel, which is made up of Judah and Benjamin. Hey, I just want to say, who you listen to in life matters. Who are your best friends? Solomon, he chose to listen to these wives from other countries. And, and, you know, he could have listened to God, but instead he started to have around him in influential positions, people who encouraged him in another way, in another path. Rehoboam, his best, 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 best friends were these guys who encouraged him in this other path. I just want to say, you're, if you call the Lord as your Savior and you follow Jesus, your best, 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 best friends better be other Christians to encourage you to choose right. I'm not saying you shouldn't have friends who don't know the Lord, but man, those big influences on your life, the people you marry, the people you choose to hang around with, do they know the Lord? Well, Solomon and Rehoboam in particular, they chose to follow these other gods and Yahweh says, you're my people, and yet you're wandering far away from me. Well, Rehoboam dies. He only had 18 wives, by the way. But he dies, and his son, Abijah, or Abijam, some translations say, becomes king. And Abijah, now you have a choice. Are you going to follow Chemosh, Baal, Molech, or are you going to follow Yahweh like your Great-grandfather David, are you going to follow Yahweh? And by the way, if you're king of Israel, you have to read this five books called the Torah. And you've got to study Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And when you read that, you would have been reminded of all the things that Yahweh did for you. And plus, you've heard of the stories of David. You've read the book of Psalms and you're understanding who David is. Do I follow my great-grandfather, David, or do I follow, like my dad, Rehoboam, do I follow Chemosh? Like my grandfather, Solomon, do I follow Baal? What are you going to do, Abijah? Abijah, he chooses Baal, Asherah, Molech. Well, he only reigns for three years, and he dies. And then his son Asa becomes king. Asa, what are you going to choose? You have a choice. Are you going to follow Molech like your dad? Are you going to follow Baal like your grandfather Rehoboam? Are you going to follow Solomon like your great grandfather? Are you going to follow Baal like your great grandfather Solomon? Or are you going to follow Yahweh like your great great grandfather David? Asa, what are you going to do? Well, if you come back, no, I'm kidding. If what do you do? Asa is standing before this huge Asherah pole. Now you ask, what's an Asherah pole? 
Well, one of the goddesses they worshipped was a goddess named Asherah. And they would build a 10 to 12 foot high pole to this goddess Asherah. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 or 15 that one of the big Asherah poles in the region was created and made by Asa's grandmother, Maka. His own grandmother made, the queen mother made this Asherah pole, which is about the height of a basketball hoop. And what they would do is they would find a tree and they would chop off all the branches. Then they'd chop on down all the other trees around it so they'd just have this huge pole. And then they would carve beautiful images in it, but these weren't beautiful images. They were well made, but the Bible says that Queen Mother Maka, this Asherah pole, she carved in the pole obscene images, dirty images, very sexual in nature, all over this pole. And everybody from around the whole region would come and worship this goddess, Asherah, who was the wife of Baal, and they would come from all around to worship at this pole. And Asa was probably, as a little kid, dragged to this pole, and he had to worship Asherah by his dad and by his, all his relatives. So Asa, he's there in front of this pole, and everybody, I'm sure the queen mothers, yeah, and they're all worshiping Asherah. Well, I think Asa's there with an axe. And he's looking at this pole, and he's deciding, do I... As king of Israel, southern Israel, do I follow Asherah or do I choose Yahweh? While he raises his axe, hey, I think he has a choice. Am I going to sacrifice an animal to the Asherah pole with this axe or am I going to chop it down? Well, he raises his axe and chop, chop. He back cuts it, chop, and then he chop, and then, ooh, the Asherah pole comes down. Asa chooses Yahweh. This is incredible. Asa, the culture's going that way. Your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your own grandmother, they all chose Molech and Baal and Asherah, and you're choosing Yahweh? Man, I just think that's exciting. Somebody must have gotten to Asa. Maybe it was one of the Jewish wives that Solomon had that was still left over and said, hey, think about David. Maybe when he studied the Torah and read the Psalms, he fell in love with this God named Yahweh who did so much for his people. Asa, he made a choice. Everything was going that way. And he said, nope, I am going this way. I want to encourage you. You, do, you are not defined by your family. You're, you may come from a background where you say, hey, my, my, we're not Christians. My dad doesn't really encourage me in the ways of the Lord. My grandmother doesn't encourage me in the ways of the Lord. We don't have any of this stuff. It's tough for to live for the Lord. Do I want to keep doing this? I want you to think of Asa. He made that choice. 
The culture's flowing this way. Building high places, Asherah poles everywhere. If I stand for the Lord, I'm going to look a little odd, a little different. Hey, think like Asa. He made that choice. Some of you kids, you're like, hey, you know what? I grew up in a Christian home. I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You've got to make a choice to follow the Lord on your own. Your parents' salvation does not save you. Some of you are like, hey, I want to change the spiritual DNA of my family. And everybody, when we get together in big family gatherings, they choose to do something that I think the Bible says is sin. And I've been choosing to not do it. And my family pressures me and makes me feel dumb for, for not following along. And I want to encourage you, do not give up. Asa made that choice. And the Bible says, if you want to have a heart, the Bible says in 2 Chronicle, actually 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 14, that Asa's heart was completely devoted to the Lord his entire life. Wouldn't that be great to be said of you? That your heart was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord your entire life? Well, God says, if you want to have a heart wholeheartedly devoted to me today, you got to follow my son, Jesus. you got to do something with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. you got to make that choice. If you want to follow and have a heart wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord today, you've got to follow Jesus. And I hope you've made that, and I hope you continue to make that decision well, Asa makes that decision, and he chops down this Asherah pole, and he starts chopping down Asherah, other Asherah poles, but note and revival starts hitting Israel. He's tearing down high places, but notice where he started, with his grandmother's Asherah pole. If you want revival to hit your life and to hit your family, you may have to start with yourself. You may have to start with your own family. Let me ask you this question. Are there Asherah poles in your life that you need to chop down? Maybe there's some habits in your life that you've gotten from your family history that you're like, I shouldn't have this stuff in my life. I shouldn't have these dirty images, these obscene things. I shouldn't be doing this stuff. But man, it's just so natural for me to do it, and I've always done it. My, my, again, I, the world's going to look at me weird, but you know what? The Lord's been convicting my heart. i got to chop this pole down. Hey, Grandma, I appreciate your pole, but i got to chop it down. It says, Asa, you know what? He chops it down, and then it says he burns it, totally wipes it out. Some of you maybe have elevated sports to that's the current God, and you're like, you know what? I want to spend more time at church with my family, and I'm not going to put my kid in every sport. Chop, chop, that's an ashrapple. Maybe you say, hey, you know what? My family always goes, does this activity at Thanksgiving, and I'm uncomfortable with it. I can't do it anymore. Chop, chop. Maybe there's some website or some other thing that I go to that I know pulls my heart away from God and makes me think things. I obscene images. I've got to chop, chop that down. But it's tough to start with family, right? It's tough to start on your own. We can find fault in others, but to start with us, 
to confront your grandmother? That would have been hard. But Asa did it. And it says he starts chopping down natural poles, tearing down high places. Well, when you start living for the Lord, do you think Satan likes that? He does not. And something terrible shows up in Asa's life. And you know what that terrible thing is? Well, if you come back next week, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I always, I leave the kids on a cliffhanger till the next, but anyway. But you know what that terrible thing is? It says there in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, that terrible thing is a king named Zira who shows up from Ethiopia with a million-man army. He's heading north, and he wants to invade southern Israel. And I can imagine the messenger comes to tell him, Hey, King Zira from Ethiopia with a million-man army is heading this way to invade us. And Asa's like, I'm trying to do what's right. I can't believe the revival's coming, and now this happens? Well, Asa's thinking, all right, i got to fight him. I have 280,000 valiant warriors in Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. I have 300,000 valiant warriors from the tribe of Judah. 300,000, 280,000, that comes to 580,000 troops. I've got 580,000 troops to take on a million soldiers from Ethiopia. And not only does he have a million, the Bible says King Zira. He had 300 chariots. That may not sound like much today, but back then, that's like having 300 tanks. Israel has no tanks. They've got 300 of them. Think of it this way. He had 300 star destroyers. We, Israel, has nothing in comparison. It's not even close. They could wipe us out just with those chariots. And he's like, what am I going to do well, he takes his 580,000 troops and he comes down to the valley of Zephathah and he meets the million-man army of Ethiopia. Well, there back then they would line up their troops, like a thousand here, then another line, a thousand here, then another line, a thousand here. And he's probably, Asa's looking at his troops and thinking, wow, I got quite a bit. And then he turns around and 5,000 in the first line. 5,000 probably in the second. And Zira's troops would go on for miles. And Asa's, his, in comparison, they're nothing. And the 300 chariots. Well, it says that before the battle begins, Asa does the one smart thing he could do. Before the battle begins... He cries out to Yahweh. He asks for his help. Smart move, Asa. And in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11, it says, Before the battle begins, Asa cries out, Yahweh, there is no one besides you to help the mighty and those without strength. Help us, Yahweh, our God, for, and here's the key, we depend on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. Yahweh, you are our God. Do not let a mere mortal hinder you. And Yah, like Braveheart, he gives the speech and they charge. 
And the Ethiopian army, they see them and they charge back. And, ah, and what happens? It says there in verse 12, did Asa win the battle? Did Ethiopia win the battle? Neither. It says Yahweh routed the Ethiopians. Yahweh won the battle. And we don't really know how. Maybe he threw down fireballs from heaven. Maybe the ground opened up and swallowed half the army. Or maybe, you know, one of them just had one, one warrior from Judah could take out a thousand men, two thousand men. But it says that the Lord enabled Judah and Benjamin, southern Israel, to totally rout the Ethiopians, and he totally wiped them out. And it says the fear of the Lord just went all over the tribes surrounding when they heard what happened. And they took all the goods and they brought it back home. And yes, they'd won. Why? Because they depended on God. Man, I hope that's true about us. Hopefully we're not going to go into battles against million-man armies. But before you make a decision, before you make that big decision, are you depending on God? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to college? What should I buy this car? What am I going to do? Am I depending on God for these big decisions? And you know what? When we face the big giant in our life, that big Ethiopian army, two to one outnumbered, 300 chariots, the thing that gives us strength is to remember what Asa did. He cried out to the Lord. It looks hopeless sometimes when the culture just seems to be overwhelming be encouraged. Don't give up. Depend on God. That's your strength. Well, Asa, he comes back from the battle, and I can imagine he comes into the throne room, and he's excited, and standing there is a prophet named Azariah. And Azariah, it's said, son of Oded, is full of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit's upon him. And it says there in 2 Chronicles 15 that Azariah comes up to Asa. And I can imagine he gives him a big hug. And he basically says to Asa, Azariah says to Asa, keep it up. Don't give up. Keep doing these reforms. Keep chopping down these high places. Look what the Lord did for you. Look what the Lord did for you against the Ethiopian army. Do not give up. And Azariah says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Don't give up. And then he says this. 2 Chronicles 15 verse 7. But as for you, and I want you to remember this, be strong. Don't be discouraged. For your work has a reward. That's what Azariah says to Asa. Be strong. Don't give up, for your work has reward. Some of you are tired of fighting the battle. You're tired of fighting that battle to, to contain your eyes and to not think those thoughts, and it's exhausting, and you're wondering if it's worth it. Be strong. Don't give up, for your work has reward. Some of you are thinking, do I really want to keep confronting my mom about asking my daughter to do this? I've told her over and over again. And I'm trying to live for the Lord. I'm trying to change things. Be strong. Not give up. 
Your work has reward. Hey, I want to stand for truth at work, and it's cost me some things at work because people look at me weird now, and I, I just said, hey, I don't think we should be doing this, and I'm trying to stand for truth, and I'm tired. What does the Bible say? Be strong. Do not give up, for your work has reward. This section, I want you to say, be strong. You got to say it. <laughs> be strong. The middle say, do not, do not give up. This section for your work has a reward. You guys need to be a little louder. You just memorized 2 Chronicles 15, verse 7. Some of you need to say that to yourself. Be strong. Do not give up. Or our version, this version says, do not get discouraged for your work has a reward. You know what? God never said it was going to be easy. That's why he says, be strong. It's not like your way is just going to be plain and wonderful. That's why you can't get discouraged. Why? Because your work has a reward. You know, the New Testament talks about, you know, don't give up for in due season you'll reap. Same thing all the way back to the Old Testament. Azariah says, Asa, do not give up. Well, Asa's encouraged, and he keeps chopping down poles, and he keeps tearing down high places, and he keeps having a heart wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, and he says, all right, all of Judah, all of and let's show up in Jerusalem. And then he says, Simeon, Manasseh, and Ephraim, because some of the tribes who are in northern Israel, when they saw what God was doing, they streamed south. They wanted to be a part of it. And they said, hey, Jerusalem, we're going to renew our covenant with the Lord. And that's what they did. They sacrificed 700 cows and 7,000 sheep and goats to say, we are going to follow you, Yahweh. You are our God. And revival is hitting. This is about 15 years into Asa's 41-year reign. Things are great. Revival is coming back to Israel, southern Israel. Yes. Well, about 20 years later, about year 36 of his reign, something else bad happens. King Basha. It's B-A-A-S-H-A. I like to call him Basha. King Baasha of northern Israel, he starts to build a town called Ramah right on the border between southern and northern Israel. So it's southern of that northern Israel, he's starting to build a, a town called Ramah because he's tired of people streaming south. He wants to stop that. But also he builds this town Ramah on a major trade route to stop as a blockade to stop all the goods, all the stuff coming from northern Israel into southern Israel. And when Asa finds out, he gets scared. He gets petrified. He's so scared he starts digging a hole. Now how do I know he's digging a hole? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 41, verse 9, in a completely different story, hundreds of years later, this character hides dead bodies in this big pit or cistern that Asa had built hundreds of years earlier. 
that's a whole nother story you can read for yourself. But he did, he's, where is he burying him? In King Ace's giant cistern. Big, huge pit. And I don't know if Asa was massive. Everybody knew it was King Asa's pit and her sister. And I don't know if he was hiding in that. I'm going to hide my whole family. Or if he had all grain and all this stuff to, to, to stockpile food. I, all I know is it proves Asa was petrified of King Basha. His army was bigger. Basha's was bigger. Basha, even though he's not following Yahweh, had more money. And Asa's like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, Asa, what about 20 years earlier when God took care of you with a million-man army? Don't you remember that? Nope, nope. Asa's just wandering back and forth. What am I going to do? He's pacing, and then I have an idea. So he picks up the phone, and he calls Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. And Ben-Hadad picks up the phone and says, yeah, what's up? And Asa says, listen, Ben-Hadad, if I give you enough money, will you break your treaty with Basha and attack him from the north? And Ben-Hadad's like, well, it's got to be a lot of money. Well, Asa, it says in 2 Chronicles 16 that he takes money from the treasury given in the temple. He takes money from the temple treasury. This is stuff dedicated to the Lord. Whenever they would get booty or loot or stuff from a great war, they would put it in the temple treasury, a certain percentage, and it was dedicated to the Lord. Well, he's taken that, gold bowls and silver bowls and money and jewelry, and he's saying, hey, Ben, hey, Dad, I'm going to give you all this money. Will you break your treaty with Basha and attack him from the north? Well, Ben, hey, Dad. He's like, sure. Why not? So he gives him all this money. Ben, hey, Dad, then breaks his treaty with Basha, and he starts attacking him in the north. Well, Basha's in the south building Rama, and he's like, you know what? I got to stop doing that to protect myself in the north. He goes all the way to the north to protect those towns, and while he's gone, Asa comes in and he tears down Rama and he takes the wood and the stone for himself and he totally obliterates that town. Yes, Asa's plan worked. Man, I'm brilliant. And he starts to come into the throne room, I imagine, and he's so happy. Well, standing there is a prophet named Hanani. And I can imagine Asa sits down on his throne. His great plan worked. And Hanani walks up, puts his bony finger in Asa's nose, and he says, you done messed up. That's basically what it says in Hebrew. You, <laughs> you done messed up. And Asa's like, what? How did I mess up? And it says there in 2 Chronicles 16 that basically Hanani says, you messed up, Asa, because you forgot to depend on Yahweh. Remember, against the Ethiopian army, he says, we depend on you. 20 years later, I depend on myself and my own wisdom. He forgot to ask God for help. 
And Hananiah says, because you did not depend on God for the rest of your reign, you're going to suffer wars and you're going to be attacked. And then Hananiah says in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely devoted to him. God is looking for those whose hearts are completely devoted to him. And you chose to just rely on yourself, Asa. Man, I hope we don't forget to do that. You know, I hope we don't just get caught up in our own wisdom and our own strength and we don't ask the Lord for help and wisdom in facing the big decisions and the big challenges. Well, Asa did. And when he was confronted with that, you know how Asa responded? He got mad. He was furious. He threw a fit kicked the dog, kicked the cat, you know, yelled at his wife, you know, whatever it happens to be. It says he grabbed Hananiah and threw him into prison. Then it says he went out and abused his people. I don't know if he threw some of them into prison, increased their taxes, increased their cable bill, whatever it happens to be. He said, I am mad at you. I'm mad at the world. And I'm mad at God. And it says, basically, he turned his back on Yahweh. And for the rest of his reign, he didn't seek him anymore. And it says later on, in the last four years of his life, he developed a foot disease that was so painful that his son Jehoshaphat had to end up co being a co-regent with him, and it eventually killed him. And it said in that disease, he didn't seek the Lord, but only the physicians. He's so mad at God, he's like, I'm not even in the middle of this disease. I'm not even going to look to you. I'm just going to ask the physicians for help. I'm going to ignore you. Hey, I just want to say, Asa started out so well, but he ended so badly. A good start is not a guarantee that you're going to end well in the spiritual life. Asa got so mad, so bitter, what I call disappointed with God. Because remember, it says that his heart, the Bible says in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, that Asa's heart was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his entire life. So what's happening here? I think what's happening here is disappointment with God. He is mad. And in getting mad at God, he turns his back on him, and you can get bitter and we know people, right, who used to love the Lord, but now they're turning their backs, and you wonder where they're at. Well, Asa, I think he had a heart. I, I still, you're the only one true God. But I'm not going to go to you for help anymore. I'm not going to pray to you anymore. I think there's some Christians out here who are, hey, I'm mad at you, God. And you stop reading your Bible, and you stop praying. The one source of help, Jesus says, cast your, all your cares upon me, for I care for you. Your one source, and you're turning your back, and you I, I don't want it because I'm that mad. I'm that bitter. That's what Asa did, and it says he died. And they held a great funeral for him, but he didn't end well. What if Asa 
had confessed. What if when confronted with his sin, he had said, please forgive me, I'm sorry. How can I make this right? Because somebody, hundreds of years earlier, was confronted with sin, and his name was David. And he was confronted by Nathan the prophet who said, David, you done messed up. You the man. And what was David's response? He repented and he said, I'm sorry. He confessed his sin. 1 John 1.9, many of you have memorized it, but 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you need to confess your sins, but you're holding on to it for whatever reason, and you're mad at God for whatever reason. You need to confess your sin and say, I am sorry, Lord. I've let the sin just take hold in my life. I confess it to you. Please forgive me. And it says that God is righteous and just to forgive you. And then some of you need to say to that family member, that friend, I confess to you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was wrong. How can I make this right? There's three parts to an apology or a confession. You say, please forgive me. You admit guilt. I was wrong. How can I make this right? Kids, what if when your mom says, hey, I told you to clean up your room and you've been messing around with all this stuff. What if instead of saying, hey, well, it was, I was on this particular level of the game and I can't quit now and it's not my fault or my sister, she did this and blah, blah, blah. And what if you throw a fit like Asa? Or what if... You said to your mom, please forgive me. I was wrong. How can I make this right? If you did that to your mom, her jaw would drop. <laughs> if you did that to your dad, he'd take you out for ice cream. He'd be like, wow, I can't believe you said that. Please forgive me. I was wrong. How can I make this right? What if some of you, some of you need to have that conversation, right, with your mother, your father, your brother, your coworker, your wife, your husband? You need to say, please forgive me. I was wrong. How can I make this right? What's the first thing you say? What's the second thing you say? What's the third thing you say? That second part, I was wrong, that's where a lot of us stumble. Well, it wasn't really my fault. You should have seen this. And well, I don't know. And we shift. And, we, and that's what A.H. says. Well, he might have thrown, well, it wasn't my fault. I, you know. Please forgive me. I was wrong. How can I make this right? What if he had confessed you though, and I hope it's not many, need to do another type of confession. 
That's found in Romans 10, verse 9, where Paul says, If we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Some of you, you're not even talking to Jesus. You've got to enter into that relationship with him, and it starts with that initial confession where you confess, Jesus is Lord. He is God. I want to have a heart wholeheartedly devoted to him all my days. He is Lord. I'm going to follow him. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. He's God. And then later on in Romans 10, 13, it says, All who call for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you need to make that initial confession and say, you know what? I've been sinning here. Please forgive me, Lord. I was wrong. I was heading in this other direction away from you. I was rebellious. And instead of saying, how can I make this right? Say, Jesus, make this right. I want to follow you. Please, I want to have a heart wholeheartedly devoted to you all my days. Hey, I like to give what I call um, equipment for living. How can I apply, my, apply this, this sermon to my life so I can use it to equip me for dealing with whatever I happen to go through this week? Equipment for living this week, number one. Who are your best friends? Are they encouraging you towards good? Are they encouraging you in the things of the Lord? Man, I sure hope they are. Maybe you need to check that out. Number two, equipment for living this week. What Asherah poles do you need to chop down in your home, in your life? Your family may not understand, hey, I'm a dad. We've had a great weekend with the men, you know, but we got to take leadership, and sometimes you know there's an Asherah pole that you've got to chop down that everybody else in your family seems to enjoy, and you explain why, and they may not understand it, but you better chop that down. This week, assess your life. What things need to be chopped up and burned? Number three, equipment for living. Think of someone you could be an Azariah to this week. Who could you encourage? We want to be encouraged by those Azariahs. Well, you could be that Azariah. You know somebody in your small group, in your Sunday school, that you could tell they're a little down, they're a little discouraged, and you know they've been going through a lot of things at work. You could show up and be an encouragement, bring them food, take them out for dinner, read words of encouragement to them, read scripture, say, hey, I am there for you. You could... Be that Azariah for someone this week. Equipment for living number four. If you are the person who's discouraged, if you are the person who's lagging in your spiritual life and you just wonder if it's worth it, memorize 2 Chronicles 15, verse 7. And the next time you get discouraged, remind yourself, be strong. Do not give up for your work has a reward. Hey, kids, when you go back to school or 
young adults, when you go off to college and you, you, you go there with somebody else and both of you have made a decision to stand up for the Lord this year and you see your friend in the hallway, you could come up to him and you could whisper in their ear, hey, be strong. Do not give up for your work has a reward. Be strong. Do not give up for your work has a reward. Memorize that verse. Say it to others. Use it to fight those feelings of discouragement. Equipment for living in number five. Is there someone you need to apologize to? Do that this week. Make that relationship right. Confess. And then finally, equipment for living number six. Is your heart wholly devoted to the Lord? Is your heart wholly devoted to Jesus? It's your choice. It's not dependent on anybody else. It's your choice. Some of you kids, you're like, well, hey, you know what? My, my parents are saved, and, and I've gone to VBS, and what, if you have a wanna, and I've done all these things, I go to Sunday school, I'm saved, aren't I? No, the Bible says you've got to make that choice. You've got to make maybe that initial step of confession for the first time and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I made that at the age of eight or nine, and I'm going to say, you know, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. And man, if you make that decision at this young an age, man, you're going to avoid a whole world of hurt. Or maybe you're older, and you're like, you know what? I've never made that decision for Jesus, and I feel the pull of the Holy Spirit, and I feel conviction, and I've been putting it off. I'm going to make that choice today, and I'm going to ask him to save me. But I'm hoping many of you have made that decision and you are following the Lord. Then I want to ask you again, is your heart whole, whole, wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord like Ace's was? Are you committing your following to Jesus at work? And you say, you know what, I want to be like Asa early on. I want to have a heart wholly devoted to him. And my culture's flowing this way, but I'm going to stand strong I'm going to make a difference, just like Asa. I'm going to make that choice. Remember, you are not defined by your past, but you are defined by your present choices. What am I going to choose? And I want to be like Asa. Have a heart wholly devoted to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just... Thank you for the life of Asa. And I pray we all end well. But I thank you for Asa and his choice to stand for you in the midst of a culture that was hurtling the other way. And as king, he had a lot of power, but man, what a difference it made. And I pray that we can make a difference with our friends and our family if we choose to be like Asa. And have a heart wholly devoted to your son, Jesus, all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John. Um